This month, Wendy and I had a cool and educational conversation about asexuality with licensed marriage and family therapist Jenny Steinberg. Jenny has a private practice in downtown LA, and she specialized in working with gender, sexual, and relationship minorities for almost 10 years. It's really important for us to let listeners know that although we're straight, or straightish in my case, we're allies in this conversation. We hope to bring some awareness, but we have no intention of representing or speaking for a group that we're not directly a part of. So we're all aware of the limitations of our personal experiences, and even though we may joke here and there, our hope is truly to always be appropriately sensitive to anyone falling outside a cisgender heteronormative box. And if you don't know what those terms mean, just keep listening. So please forgive us any clumsiness. Wherever you are on the rainbow, we invite you to step outside your comfort zones and get into the comfort of this pod as Jenny drops some knowledge on us, including what it means that some asexuals may wish to go to the ball game now and then. Are we like doing this? Yeah. We are oh, okay. doing this, cool. girl. Cool. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hey. So, oh, okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Jenny. Um. So yeah, I've been downtown about two years, and before that, I was uh, navigating the interstate license process because my previous private practice was actually in the Boston area. Um, so I was licensed in Massachusetts, and then it took me a little while to do all that in California. But here I am. Yay. Oh, yeah. So you're from Boston? Uh, no, I'm from L.A. originally. I oh. moved out to Boston after grad school for a few years. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And what, did you specialize in something in the, Boston? The same, gender, sexual, and relationship minorities. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. So, what is that? Let's welcome everybody back to the relationship show. Uh, we didn't have a new episode last month because we had a lot of stuff going on, but today we're really excited to have joining us uh, licensed marriage and family therapist Jenny Steinberg. Yay! Uh, Yay! <laughs> as we were just talking about, she has her master's from Cal State Northridge and she has a practice in downtown LA. Uh, she's a psychotherapist specializing in gender, sexual, and relationship minorities and has been practicing for the past 10 years and is in the process of launching her own group practice. It's Through the Woods Therapy Center. Yeah, that's right. So exciting. We're in the, I'm in the process of rebranding and I've just hired two more people into my practice. So. That's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and we wanted you here today because you wrote an article that you shared with me and we've talked about this and I find this topic really fascinating. Uh, we wanted to talk about asexuality and yeah. I know we were just hearing a little bit about you so as Wendy was just about to launch into tell us about how you got involved in this and and I'm a little bit about asexuality as you understand it sure well the first thing I always say when I'm talking about any of these demographics is I always want to disclaim that I am a straight ally so I do not purport to speak on behalf of anybody who identifies as asexual or any of the other um, gender, sexual, and relationship minorities that I talk about. These people have their voices, and I really want to honor those voices because they're so important in this conversation. Um, my hope is just to sort of educate people a little bit. Um, the way that I got into this is that I have always kind of felt quirky. <laughs> um, and so I've always sought out other people who kind of feel like they maybe don't fit with the mainstream. Um, and so my whole life I've had friends who were gay, lesbian, and bisexual. Um, and then later in my life, probably around grad school, I started having friends who were transgender as well. Um, 
And then I started my career. And at the very beginning of my career, I moved to Boston. And one of the first close friends I made in Boston was a transgender woman who uh, identifies as asexual. And I'd never heard about that. Asexual? Asexual, yes. Um, So I asked her to teach me about it. And she told me that she's not really interested in having sex or having a relationship even, um, a romantic relationship with anybody. Um, And as we'll talk about, that's one way to be asexual. That is not the way to be asexual, but that was her truth. And that was just so fascinating because I thought everybody wanted sex. I thought everybody wanted a relationship. Um, Or to not pathologize that, right? So if you didn't... Is that a red flag? Does that, you know, you can imagine that some people would just read right. into it and say, what is wrong with that? Yeah, you absolutely. So and there's a lot of that in this conversation. Yeah, outside um, the norm. Yeah. Right. Whatever that is. And I love right. how you yeah. said, educate me, you know? Right. Instead of like, right. let me tell you what society says oh, about yeah. this label or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I like, I'm always learning. I'm always, every time I think I know a lot, I encounter somebody who just totally flips what I know on its head and it's like oh my gosh please teach me about your life I want to learn more about this because clearly it's it's working for you you're living this experience and I I think that's amazing I don't think that's bad or wrong or like in need of fixing I think it's amazing because it's working for you and it seems really fulfilling for you, and I want to learn about it. And you said that there are different types. Ty- uh, how would you say it? I want to be appropriate and respectful. Sure, sure. But, like, different ways in which this shows up and looks. Is that what sure, you said? The sure. Asexuality, okay. yeah. Asexuality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so asexuality is, I mean, every every word and phrase we use under the gender. Do you guys know what I mean when I say gender, sexual, and relationship minority? Tell yeah. them. Why don't you? Okay. Let- so... The acronym that most people use is LGBT. And so that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. But when you delve into this community and you start meeting people, you meet all of these people who are not straight, cisgender, and even like monogamous. There are so many people in this community who that isn't sufficient for. So for a while I was saying, LGBTQQAIPK, which was like lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, polyamorous, and kinky. I mean, and then it just goes from there. And even that's not inclusive enough right. for a yeah. lot of people. Right. right. But then so, if you say kinky, yeah. mm-hmm. then, and it, but it's all cross. I would imagine it's uh, it can be you know cross pollinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Because yeah. you know someone who is kinky can also be asexual, absolutely, right? okay. or, or absolutely. bisexual, right? Right, yeah, right. Or, or, yeah. Okay, great. Sure, or queer so, and kinky, but if right. you're queer, it doesn't mean you are kinky. Right, exactly. You could be really conservative. Right, well, and and sure. transgender also is separate from. I mean, it's it's something. It's not what you're doing. It's not this kind of sex no, right. that you're having. It's who you are. Exactly. Yeah. So the sort of oversimplified distinction between sexual orientation and gender identity is sexual orientation is who you want to go to bed with, and gender identity is who you want to go to bed as. Can you say that one more time? Sure. Sexual orientation is who you want to go to bed with, and gender identity is who you want to go to bed as. But, of course, this isn't... Like, gender identity, it's not something that 
only exists in the bedroom. And when you once you pull asexuality into it, you realize that like some people actually don't want to go to bed at all, and that has no infl- influence on what their gender identity may be. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. Makes okay. it much more difficult to decide what to wear in the morning. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right though. You're right. absolutely right because people who are who have fluid gender identity talk about that. They talk about waking up and looking at their closet and thinking like. Do I feel more masculine or more feminine today? Yeah. I I do that, and I'm heterosexually identified. Right, right. Which actually is separate, right? Because that's sexual orientation. Exactly. So cisgender is the word you're looking for. Yeah. But then we get into the nuanced difference between gender identity and gender expression, right? right? So gender identity is who you feel you are. Gender expression is what you put out to the world. So that's like when you walk into a room, do you kind of like, skip into the room or do you kind of like trudge into the room and people might say that 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 skipping into the room is more feminine and trudging into the room is more masculine sure but this is all a social construct that's culturally defined so this that might like gender identity or sorry gender expression might look different in our culture than it would in another culture in another part of the world that defines genders very differently sure yeah yeah there are places in the world where men hold hands and are much more affectionate and it's sure. not seen as something that is a threat to their masculinity. Right. It's not seen as something that's feminine. It's seen right. as something that is just the way men act with each other. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And this is a wonderful wave, what's going on right now. Uh, you know, uh, so Time Magazine has articles right now. Um and National Geographic had that sure, beautiful that. Yeah. Um, uh, volume on um, just uh, children and parents. And uh, but this, I was talking to Jenny this morning. Like this isn't really new. It's just coming out as you know. The media is just you know bombarding uh, everyone with it. But right, this is not new. No, this isn't new. It's just that. There's more of a voice, there's more of a right, platform. Right, exactly. I think the internet has done a lot for it because people who walked around saying, am I alone, is this just me, don't have to do that anymore. They can Google, I'm a man who feels like a woman, and they can look that up. Or they can Google, I don't feel like I'm male or female, and then they can find message boards, and they can find articles, and they can find scholarly research about it, which is just so wonderful. Or they can Google... I'm not sexually attracted to anybody. Am I broken? Is there something wrong with me? And then they can find AVEN, which is the Asexuality Visibility and, Educa- and Education Network, and see that there are a, gaz- a gazillion people just like them. It's a- asexual. Asexuality is actually 1% of the population, which is astoundingly high when we think about how little we talk about it. Wow. Yeah. You know, I often will get emails from uh, p- powerful kind of like CEO types that mm-hmm. will talk about the pressure. They want to be anonymous, but they'll talk about the pressure of, um, you know, running companies, and yet they want to wear women's clothing sure. or panties or bras underneath these power suits. And is something mm-hmm. wrong? Mm-hmm. I, I I get those emails all the time, and you know, it's it's interesting. You know, on one yeah. hand, I'll say, wait, are they? Is somebody? You know, is, is somebody kind of like? you know, joking with me. Mm. And then my next response is, no, they really are reaching out. Yeah. So, but they... Trying to normalize you know. their experience and, and say, is this okay? But, and I think that, that that goes 
down a pathway that I think is notably treacherous for people because historically there's this, you know, stigma on cross-dressing or, or the desire to write and kind of like kink and all these kinds of fetishes. Sure. And that's that. And then asexuality sort of having no interest. Like I read something about it where they were saying somebody who's asexual can just have this sort of academic approach. Like they, they're fascinated with sex as a concept, but they, they're not making the mind body connection with it. I think that's too easily stated, but like that they're saying like, so I understand it intellectually, but I'm not feeling that attraction myself or that drive myself. And so they're curious about it, but sure. But I, I would assume that they've got other interests. Well, and I think it's important to talk about the diversity within the asexual population. I mean, is what are the characteristics of people who are asexual have in common? And it's literally just that if you draw a bell curve of sexual interest, some people are, you know, very sexual. They always want to have lots and lots and lots of sex. Why are you and pointing to me, right. girl? <laughs> You're to my right, and that's what happened on the bell curve. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Point to me, but I mean, if the shoe fits, yeah, it fits, fits, girl. And then you get the other end of that bell curve where people never, ever, ever want to have sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, if you think of it as a bell curve, it's so much less pathologizing because we're all somewhere on that bell curve, on that spectrum. Well, and there are some times when you don't want to. I mean, we were Wendy and I were talking about this the other day. That you know, it's like, oh man, my I think my asexuality is acting up a little bit. It's just like. Or is this your two, it's it's the last thing on your list of driving forces. Sure, and that, that and speaks to just, like, the human experience and fluidity of sexuality of all kinds. It's like, nice that yeah. there's a choice, too. Sure. You know, so that you can decide. It's not just something that happens, but you can say, you know, I feel like this right now. Or I can move into, you know, how many times do we do couples therapy and they definitely, one person wants kink. Is that how you say it? Kink, sure, kink, yeah, kink. yeah, yeah. Or BDSM. Uh-huh. Yeah. Freak, wild. <laughs> no. Queerness. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. you know, they want some flavor. They want some spice. They want something that is uh, sure. not so vanilla. So, um, But at the same time, I would say along the lines of somebody identifying as asexual, as a sexual identity. So, right. It's not so a choice. not a choice. Exactly. That's not a choice. So it's, like, it's like being gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Right. That's somebody who kind of is, hardwired is always a dicey term, but that's somebody who their sort of home is to the left of the center of that bell curve, where they say, I am not, you know, the whole world seems to revolve around sex, and that does not resonate with me. But there's a ton, there's so much more that asexual people have that's different from each other than that they have in common, because there's so much diversity in that community. For example, some people who are asexual are also aromantic, like my friend that I was talking about, right? So this is somebody who not only isn't interested in sex, but also isn't interested in having a romantic relationship, doesn't want to kiss, doesn't really want to cuddle, just doesn't want anything to do with any of that. Um, She wants friends, but she doesn't want a romantic relationship. Other people who are asexual absolutely do want a a romantic relationship. They're very happy to kiss and cuddle. In fact, that's very important to them. They're looking for that kind of connection in their life, Uh, but they just don't feel any drive to have sex. So an asexual could want a life 
partner. Exactly. And somebody to connect with, as you're saying. Right. Uh, but not necessarily the sexual elements of right. that. So it's almost platonic romance. Right. Uh, Maybe. It, but they or, wouldn't but, describe it as platonic. Okay. Because, I, I mean, when you have a friend... You sort of have a sense, this person is my friend. And you might call them every day, and you might have a very close relationship with them, but something feels different than it does in the context of a romantic relationship, even even aside from sex, even right. taking sex out of the equation. And the romantic, in a romantic relationship, it's, this is my go-to person. Right, this the is primary. The person, may, yeah, uh, this is the person who I may or may not share a bed with. This is the person who, um, if I have a bad day, I call and they help me feel better. Um, this is the person I kiss, What you know. All of those elements may exist in an asexual person's romantic relationship should they have an inclination towards romantic relationships. So there's diversity there. There's also a lot of diversity um, in terms of, all right, so let's say that I'm in a, a relationship with somebody who loves baseball, right? And this person says to me, hey, Jenny, I love baseball, and I, uh, I have season tickets to see the Dodgers, do you want to come with me to the Dodger game? Now, in one situation, I might say to this person, oh my God, that would be the worst thing ever. I am just, like, I'm disgusted thinking about having to go and sit and watch baseball. That would be horrible. And in the other, in another scenario, if I'm a different kind of person or if I'm in a different mood, I might say, you know, I'm not that interested in baseball. It's not really my thing. But and you love it, and you're important to me, and I want to spend time with you in a way that makes you happy. And so I am happy to go and sit in the sun and drink beer and eat hot dogs and enjoy the Dodger game, even though I don't actually care about what's happening down on the field. And so there's a lot of diversity there, too, with asexual people, because some folks who identify as asexual are very happy to go to the baseball game. They're like, my partner likes this thing. I don't really get it, but I'm happy to kind of be there and do it. And other people are repulsed by the idea of sex. It's slimy and it's moist and it's like icky and it's people mashing bodies against each other. And why would anyone do such a crazy, horrible, gross thing? And not necessarily do these people have trauma or depression or anxiety? Great question, because that's a huge right. myth about asexuality. Um, a lot of asexual people who I've worked with um, have said that past therapists have assumed that they have sexual trauma in their history. Um, and that's one of the most damaging myths about asexuality, because some people who are asexual do have sexual trauma. I mean, it's incredibly prevalent in the general population, and it's you know equally prevalent in asexual people. But lots of people who are, aces is the word, lots of aces um, do not have sexual trauma in their histories. And depression, um, anxiety, um, mental health issues? Similar or to... Or substance abuse? So similar to um, people who identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender, those things are probably due more to the stigma and due to feeling misunderstood than they are to asexuality itself, if they exist. Yeah, I imagine that... There's, especially when people are younger, mm. um, that there is that sort of pressure when people are at that developmental stage where everybody is hooking up and the primary drive is, you know, find a mate and reproduce and that kind of overrides most other things. So oh, I imagine yeah. at that age, 
I, I, I mean, I remember friends who lost their virginity late into their 20s having a lot of anxiety about that, even though it, I mean, they were beautiful, accomplished women who had a lot going on, yeah. and, but they had a lot of feelings about who they wanted to partner with, and, you know, the situation just had never really lined up for them. Uh, and possibly they could have been struggling with asexuality as well. You know, now we're having a different conversation this day and age than we did when 20 years ago when I was in my 20s. Maybe, but. but there are a lot of people who don't start dating until later for a lot of reasons that aren't asexual. Dating and having sex for a lot of reasons that aren't asexuality. I'm more and more now. Like, yeah. I think, I mean, the statistics are also showing now that younger people are having way less sex than later. we did. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. Pregnancies are down. Yeah. STDs are down. Well, and also there's all the online stuff, you know, that's a whole other issue. But, right. you know, what right. can happen to sexuality when it becomes digitized, <laughs> right? Because, like, the real thing then sure. doesn't compare. Sure. Um, but I do, I was just thinking, like, the social pressure... I, I imagine for somebody, even if the people around them don't even think about it so much, like, oh, so Wendy isn't hooking up with anybody, like, that doesn't, may not really bother me, because it just means more for me. Right. Uh, right. But, <laughs> and she's just really focused on school or her career, right? Right. Like, yeah, exactly. She's thinking about other things. and she's... But, but for Wendy, yeah. in that moment, it might right. be, what's wrong with me? Everybody else is doing this. Right. So, so adult, adolescence is a really, really interesting developmental stage for people who are asexual because, I mean, just imagine, like, you're a little kid and you speak the same language and you have the same interests as everybody else, right? Everyone likes to play in the dirt and look for bugs and like then you sort of like navigate later childhood and people are interested in other things but you can still relate to that and all of a sudden something flips and your peers and you hit puberty but your peers suddenly are obsessed with this thing that you have no interest in or context for and a lot of people that I've talked to have described that period in time as being very alienating um, because suddenly everybody's different than they are and everybody's talking about this thing and that's I think where a lot of people realize that there's something that is outside of the heteronormative cisnormative etc world that I mean and it happens younger with other things right if you talk to transgender people a lot of trans people talk about realizing when they're two and three and four years old that they are different than their peers but with asexuality, it's about drive, and nobody, most people don't have a sex drive when they're very, very young, until they hit adolescence. And so shame, embarrassment, guilt, does that go along with it? Well, I think shame always goes with secrets, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. Or at least you often, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I guess if you're throwing someone a surprise party, <laughs> like like big <laughs> right. life self-defining right. secrets, there's always Identity. shame there. Yeah. Well, and I think that there oh, can could, I just say, until yeah. it's worked out, right? So mm. that's where the therapeutic relationship does the healing of, you know, I'm an attachment therapist, so it's this secure attachment instead of avoiding... Absolutely. You know, putting words to what's going on so that you can heal the shame, guilt, embarrassment, whatever exactly. it is, the secret. Like and and having said. somebody say to you, hey, you know what? I think what you're describing, have you considered that you might be asexual? Um, this is This sounds like asexuality. And they're like, oh, there's a word. And I, maybe I've been trying to get myself to have sex with people for a long time or to 
figure out why I'm so disgusted at this thing that other people talk about as so normal. And, like, I'm not alone. And then, again, you delve into the internet and you look at Avon or local groups and it's like, oh my god, there are other people who are like me. So are there communities of asexuals, like, uh, offline? I mean, I know that there are are. online. There's an L.A.-based asexuality meetup. Um, When I was in Boston, there was a Boston-based one. Um, I'm sure they're all over the country, Um, probably all over the world. Well, there, I add something new. Yeah. Uh, Can I just ask, so is it, like, they are born, like, it's innate or can they change stages as you know as life stages go on can they you know come out of it or is it one consistent kind of you know sexuality is always fluid i don't know if you've met in your personal life or encountered in your career but I've, i've seen a few people like this who have always always identified as straight until they met that special someone and suddenly it was like oh there's more depth and potential to my sexuality than I realized. But I think that thinking of it as a phase is a dangerous, or potentially a phase, is a dangerous trap to get into. And I think that when somebody... Phase or stages. It's not a stage. Because a lot of parents say that, oh, he's just going through a phase or a stage. Right. Which is so minimizing to, like, what the person's truth is in that moment, right? Right. Even even if it's something that's temporary, it's like, this is where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And if I change my mind in 10 years, that, I mean, like, I don't know. I was a vegetarian in high school, right? And I'm not now. It doesn't mean that I didn't care about it when I was doing it. Sure. Yeah. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. And what, what are some of the uh, potential problems with that thinking, I mean, with that pathologizing? What can that do to somebody? I mean, I think we've touched upon some of yeah. that, but is there anything that we've missed and what can happen to people who are being minimized like that? It can be very shaming um, and very alienating. Um and I think that this happens a lot in therapy, where people who are asexual or have other identities, but because we're talking about asexuality, I'll focus on that. People who are asexual walk into a therapist's office and they'll say, so yeah, I've never really had any sexual interests and I don't really want to have sex with anyone. And instead of that, well, maybe you're asexual or maybe you're demisexual or gray sexual, which are sort of variations on asexuality. They, they say, oh, my God, let's see if we can uncover the trauma you don't remember from your childhood. or wow, just such a red right, flag yeah, to right. just assume. Right. Which is their agenda and not, like, really listening. Right. Red flag. Right. And it, almost right. a reenactment, maybe, of, you know, what happens right. in their family of origin or right. whatever. Right. That the, there wasn't a trauma that caused the asexuality, right. but there was a trauma That's from all, the reaction yeah, right, exactly. to the person's asexuality. Sure, sure, yeah. Exactly. Although some asexual people do have sexual mm-hmm. traumas in their sure. past. This is where it gets kind of dicey, right? Because I don't want to disavow the existence of aces who have sexual trauma. Those people certainly exist. But then does the asexuality come from the trauma? Well, I think that the answer there is we don't know. And that the goal is to help them heal and move on and process and make meaning of the trauma, not to get them so that they're sexual again. Because that in itself does not necessarily indicate being healed. Maybe they would have been asexual under any circumstances and then they had sexual trauma and then they heal from the sexual trauma and then they say I feel like I have processed this I am through this and then you know if there's a therapist sitting there going but no 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 no, you still don't want to have sex you're clearly not healed like that's really problematic for that client 
Right, unless that's their immediate goal is to sort of like, I know I've got trauma, I know I don't want to sleep with anybody or I'm not attracted to anybody, and right. I would like to at some point. Well, I mean, are there, is there a desire from asexuals to be another way? I think many people who realize that they don't fit into the mainstream want to fit into the mainstream, right? I would liken that. Um, not in anybody with sexual trauma, because some people genuinely just need to work through the sexual trauma to find that they're sexual people once they've done that. But, I mean, I would liken somebody who comes in and says, I really want to be a person who has sex, who's asexual, to somebody who's gay who comes in and says, I don't want to be gay. Can you help me not be gay? Right. I guess, yeah. I, and I was, yeah. I was, I was thinking of it separate from the trauma issue, but right. I, I hear what you're saying in, in, yeah. in that regard. But, I'm, yeah, I, I was just thinking... Yeah, I so I guess there would be a percentage of, and like you're saying, we don't want to, you know, paint too broadly, right? Um, but there would be a faction of asexuals who desire to be right. sexual, because sure. uh, to fit in, sure. but not because they themselves feel like it would lend something else to their lives internally, or or maybe it's just a curiosity too, like is sure. this. An experience that everybody else is having, and I am not capable of having. Is this this wonderful thing? Right. I, I'm trying to figure out something I could liken it to. I mean, I guess it's completely different. But right. I'm like, I could, you know, I've never done a hallucinogenic, and I kind of would like to do mushrooms, but I'm really freaked out by it. But you know, but everybody I talk to talk about it being this like life changing experience, and they're it, what it opens them up, and it's like, well, I kind of want to have that. I would like to have that. Mm -hmm. But there's part of me that thinks I probably would uh, eat shrooms and have a really bad trip. Like, there's this part of me that's like, and I really don't need to, but there's this part of me that's like, everybody else is having this amazing time. Why can't I? What do they know that I don't know? Yeah. Or I what? think that's probably, yeah, that might be closer to why. But I think it's also, like, some people have talked about, so there's certainly the experience of not wanting to be different. Right. But also some people have talked about like, I'm really lonely, right. and I wonder if I could fix this broken thing in me that they think is broken. I'm not saying it's broken. If I could fix this thing that I think is broken inside of me where I don't want to have sex, maybe I would stop being so lonely. So then the work is around, like, finding other ways to not be lonely rather Fill than, like, right, and not affirming the part of them that believes they're broken. In fact, like, validating that, the part of them that is asexual um, my philosophy in everything that I do is if you're not hurting anybody else against their will and you feel good on the inside, you're probably doing okay. Yeah. That's, um, that goes into my no kink is wrong. Right. This is between right. two consenting adults, it doesn't right. hurt. Which is where the person. against their will part came yeah. from. I used to just yeah. say if you're not hurting anybody, but then I started yeah. working a lot in the kink community. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, well, yeah, but that, as long as it's consensual. Right. And nobody is being betrayed, you know. Oh, yeah. Too. I'm thinking about the emotional. Yeah. I have a question. So yes. if someone is asexual, mm. is that to say they don't masturbate or do they masturbate or is it either? I mean, it doesn't have to be one main question, but I'm just sure. curious if now that's that a great is, question. Actually, it's a really good question because this, this is another area where there's diversity, but a lot of people who are asexual do masturbate. Some people describe <laughs> it as being like a stress relief thing. And then is that... It, it can that be a part of trust or intimacy or is it withholding and or is it just theirs 
you know? I mean, it just yeah. can be so many ideas around that. And that's yeah. nice to hear. I don't know why it's nice to hear, but it's like... Well, I, I well, think... some people don't, but some people do. Yeah. Well, well and I mean, yeah. how many people do we know have... I'm not going to say have a sexual identity, like an asexual... some An ace... Right, that it right. doesn't have a sexual identity because that is there. How many but sexual people don't yeah. masturbate? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, sure. I mean, I, I'm always telling people use it or lose it. I'm like, <laughs> just you gotta like get in there, you know, get to know yourself. And I have an ebook called Happy Vagina. <laughs> oh, that's and adorable. We talk a little bit about anxious vagina or depressed vagina or you know whatever. <laughs> but really, you know, it's mind body connection, yeah. and so it's it's just energy, and it's interesting to hear that. You know that they can celebrate their sexuality in the way that they feel comfortable. Yeah, or that yeah. they can experience pleasure. That 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 the mechanism I, itself, sure that the vagina happy or whatever. Describe it as pleasurable, though. Okay, I mean, they might, but the people. Some. So I had one conversation about this with somebody. So this is not like it's this the, is anecdotal. Um, but the person who I spoke to described it as stress relief. Right. Like. Like going um, for a jog, right? Like going for a jog, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it's. I I always again I recommend it as a stress relief. Right. I think you know it releases all kinds of. Right. And if they can orgasm too, I mean, I'm assuming that they're masturbating to orgasm. I actually don't know. Okay. Like, yeah, I mean, I assume that's and, where the stress relief uh, yeah. is. Yeah. Otherwise, but it would just uh, be kind of ass- like assumptions it. are always tricky. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So, huh. I'm just trying to grasp yeah. my idea about, um, just tell us more about this. It's so fascinating. I just don't... Um... What is what is non-sexuality compared to asexuality? Good question. Because, like, I, I know I, I wrote something in our notes, like, yeah. you know, atheism is the absence of belief, so right. therefore I would think it stands yeah. to reason that asexuality would be the absence of sexuality, but that's actually not really a good analogy here. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't quite line up yeah. like that. So I had actually, when I when I saw your notes, I had never heard the phrase non-sexuality, and I had to Google it, and what popped up was a bunch of Avon message boards where people talked about how non-sexuality is not the right phrase and it's asexual, and also a bunch of message boards where people said that they self-defined as non-sexual until they encountered the concept of asexuality and the asexual community. Okay, so yeah. non-sexuality is almost like an antiquated term. You're saying until somebody found asexuality. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're one of those teenagers who suddenly has all these friends who are talking about this thing and you're like, I don't get it, I don't relate to it, and you're looking for a word to describe yourself, non-sexual is a word that kind of, I think, would spring to a lot of people's minds. Okay. Um, but... I've never heard that used within the ace community or within the broader gender, sexual, and relationship minority community. So then what's a demisexual? Demisexual is somebody who, and all of these terms are sort she of does constantly and evolving. Demis- <laughs> yeah, that's right. No. She's a dancer. She's um, sorry. Oh, that's funny. Oh. God, you're a dancer. A dancer dancer. Right. <laughs> sorry. Aw, oh, chorus line. Um. <laughs> Demi. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, so, so first of all, all of these phrases are forever evolving. But uh, demisexual is somebody who feels a little bit of sex drive when they're in an intimate relationship, but not outside of an intimate relationship. So the relationship evokes exactly intimacy or trust, which then allows them to get sexual. What, right, right, which which leads to some sexual feelings. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, so it's not somebody who's out 
looking for a hookup. Like, for who, sure who's not. just yeah, not working the grinder or the Tinder, or just looking for something to satisfy them on Saturday right, night. Just... Right, exactly. And it's, well, I don't know. Okay, yeah, that's right. It's, <laughs> it's definitely not somebody who's looking for a hookup. But that, but that the sexual, who have maybe, yeah. maybe it's somebody, uh, maybe some people who have identified as asexual, mm-hmm. but then find themselves in a relationship and finding those feelings as you said, Wendy, I think like coming out of that trust and intimacy and, and then it's kind of born in a relationship. It's in the context of relationship. Right, right, exactly. And so that's demisexual. And then there's gray sexual, which is, if you think about that, it's not curve, sex with aliens. It is. Oh my gosh. No. Or, or elephants <laughs> no. or anything gray. No. Um, that, what that is, is seniors. Right. If you think about, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. So if you think about that bell curve, um, you have sort of like the below average sex drive. Um, Gray sexual is that area. It's sort of a very, very low sex drive. It's not no sex drive. Um, And it's, I think, all kind of under the asexual umbrella. But gray sexual is a word that people use when they have a little bit of sexual interest, but maybe not none. Is that lower than demi? Uh, Demi is within the context of a relationship. So demi is contextual. So my my guess would be... And again, we're like, we are completely aware that we may be making way too many assumptions at Mm. certain points, but that you could be both gray sexual and demisexual. You know, I've never thought about it. Probably. Right. You've got a low sex drive that emerges when you're in the context of a relationship. Sure. So, yeah. Get it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm sure that. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Oh, can I? uh, Yeah. I just, so spirituality, religious beliefs. um, Doesn't seem to be particularly connected. This is, this is separate from somebody who says I am going to become a priest because I feel called to serve my religion. And my religion says that as a priest, I do not engage in sex. It's different than somebody who says, I have a lot of shame around sex because I grew up in a very conservative environment where I was told that sex is bad and I'm going to hell. This is somebody who may or may not have beliefs like that, but regardless doesn't like, because somebody who is in one of these conservative environments is told you are going to hell if you have sex, don't have sex, but they struggle with that and they fight with that because they feel like they they feel compelled to it. They feel driven to have sex. And then they think that they're a bad person or a sinner. This isn't, that's different than asexuality. Asexuality is people who do not feel pulled to that. So again, it's not a, it's not a choice. All right. the, but it's not to say that somebody who takes a vow of celibacy might not be asexual, right. but it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily that somebody who takes a vow of celibacy is asexual. Right. And it's not sociocultural. It's innate. It's inside the person. Yeah. Uh, do yeah. you see any themes or patterns uh, for multicultural groups or age or, um, yeah, just themes or patterns of that? Um, it seems to be cross-cultural. Um, as far as age goes, I think that, I mean, the biggest difference with any gender, sexual, and relationship minority is that the younger generation has language to talk about it. These conversations are being had in high schools and universities. Um, somebody who is... 50 or who's 80 might have been asexual their entire life and just thought they were different or not really thought to question it. Right, so no right. name, naming it. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Do you know if they are including the topic of asexuality at all in modern sex education? I don't even know if they have it anymore. They in do the same. Yeah. <laughs> I would be probably really, not for long. I would guess that. Uh... I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, okay. No, we're we're still fighting it, the good fight. It, it, Maybe well, here in California. We will. We'll have it in California. And yeah. we've got the we've we've always got the um, internet. I mean, it depends on the sex educator, doesn't it? Yeah. Um. But do you and think unless, it should be? Oh, I, mean, I think I'm gonna, it absolutely I'm gonna should all over be. it. Yeah. I mean, how oh, how yeah. great how great would it be if that little twelve or thirteen year old going, "What's wrong with me?" Sitting in a class, were given language by an educator for what they're experiencing, and they go, "Oh, well, maybe this is me." Yeah. Um, I think it should be. I think that it. Um, probably a lot of the time isn't. I think it's still one of the lesser discussed uh, sexual orientations. What do you think it is uh, that makes some people bristle at the concept of asexuality? That some people who uh, have a very strong or who have language for their sexuality, whether it's heterosexual or lesbian, bi, gay, like, would think like, well, they're just kidding themselves or that's not a real thing or they just haven't met the right person yet. So a lot of people think of sex as a basic need, right? Like, imagine if somebody said to you, I've decided that I don't, I'm not really interested in eating, so I'm not going to eat. It's uh, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Uh I have that in my notes. Exactly. Maslow includes sex as a basic need on his hierarchy of needs. Hello, Freud. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think Freud was on the right side of the bell curve. (laughs) He thought it was all you wanted. Right. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So, we all, uh, not we all. Many of us, many sexual people, think of sex as a basic need, as something that is a driving force and that is foundational to our existing in this world. So when somebody says to you, I don't, I don't have any interest in that, that's not something I want as part of my life, I think a lot of people just don't have a context for understanding that. And then people feel threatened by what they don't know. Yeah. Right? Like. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about this in the transgender community, where if somebody is walking down the street and a stranger looks at that person and thinks, I don't know if that person is male or female, and they're insecure in their own gender identity, or they are a person who is prone to anger and violence, that person may may become violent against this transgender or genderqueer person because they don't understand it. And I think that people don't like feeling like they don't understand things. So when someone says, I'm asexual, a lot of people sort of feel like that's something they need to solve because they don't have a context for it. They don't understand it, Um, which is really sad. Well, yeah, and it goes back to our human tendencies to seek out patterns and storytelling and, and it's safety. Like right. you said, like I, and it's just very primal. Like, I don't right. know what that is. It could be dangerous. Right. I better protect myself in whatever sure. way mm-hmm. I know how. And there are some people who just don't have really well-developed skills and how to deal with the different. And I mean, I know that the story that I tell myself is that we live in a world that's beautiful because of its diversity. Right. And that when I encounter somebody who's different than me, I want to understand that because it's part of the world that we live in, and as long as it's not hurting anybody, it's wonderful. Right, and also to seek yeah. out underneath those differences or alongside those differences, what are right. the connections? What are the what are the similarities? Sure, sure, absolutely. But if the story that you tell yourself as you walk through the world is that everybody has to be like you, 
then when you meet somebody who you can't relate to at all, that can be very threatening to your to your schema, sure. to your story. I'm just yeah. thinking of extended family that would pro- uh, often maybe you know feel resentful or disconnected mm-hmm. or project maybe some anger or frustration like how did why did they get to make that choice or why aren't they f- being that cookie cutter thing I want them to be mm. you know the resentment or as though yeah that person is flawed in some way well and again if I'm thinking about like um, a young a young person having that pressure put on them by a parent like why aren't you dating or why don't you have a boyfriend or right. you know or you're 30 why aren't you having kids yeah or, right. or, just, or what like, does it do for that person who's coming at you so much anger so much frustration and like you said not really understanding that that that's how they want to live their life Right, right. Well, and coming out as asexual is a really interesting thing because I think we think a lot in terms of, like, the absence of something makes us think about the thing. So, right, if I'm coming out to my parents as gay, they can imagine me, like, walking through the mall holding hands with another woman. But if I'm coming out to my parents as asexual, suddenly I'm talking to my parents about me having sex and then me not doing that. So then what they're thinking about is me having sex and why do they need to know what goes on in my bedroom anyway? Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, so, so what, uh, I'm sorry. So what's the, <laughs> I didn't even say this. So what's the point of that statement? Uh, but so, well, the, so you're saying, so coming out, so should people, are you saying, what's the benefit of I'm coming out? I'm saying it's hard. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying it's hard to do. Okay. It's a hard right. yeah. Yeah. to have. Do people say, mom, dad, or, you know, brother, sister, or friend, I just want you to know I'm asexual. Sure. So the sure. asexuals you work with, that, that pressure that they feel could be equivalent or along the same lines as somebody coming out as bisexual or lesbian or gay or yeah i think it's there are similarities and there are differences i mean the similarity is you're saying hey mom and dad the the sexuality that you expected me to have when you you know when i was pulled out of your womb and held up to the world and handed to you and declared a sex assigned at birth um i'm not that right but there are a lot of differences too because what you're talking about is like the most intimate thing that most people think is a taboo of talking or think of as a oh. taboo in terms of talking to their parents. Right? right. So it's, it's, I guess the closest thing I can think of is if you're kinky, do you come out to your parents? Right. Yeah. And do you right. feel like it's important? Does it need to be said? You know, I think for some people they don't need to put words to it that's their right. own personal business right and at the same time if you have family members that say you know we know you're gay so just why don't you tell us that's an opportunity right. to clarify or educate right well and all of the nuances come with different considerations as well like if you are a romantic and you're 35 and you've never sought out a relationship because it's not something that's interesting to you then your parents may say to you, hey, my goodness, why aren't you dating? And at some point, 
you may have to come out to them because right. you run out of excuses. I'm saying, just don't plan. Right. Just don't plan on there ever being right. somebody with me at Thanksgiving dinner. Or, right. Yeah. Like, right. Exactly. If it happens, it happens. But just it's not. That's not right. What I see. Okay. Right. I see what you're saying. But right. um. But if you are in a romantic relationship, then you may have to come out to your parents because they wonder why there are no grandkids or. Um, or you and your partner can just agree that, like, this is not something that you're ashamed. So it's really, it's very individual. So uh, is it possible for an asexual person to have a relationship with uh, somebody who is not asexual? I mean, um, how, what does that yeah. look like? I mean, what is having a, a, like, falling in love with somebody and finding out that they're asexual? I imagine on some level, I mean, what if you were, I'm just, Right now, this is coming to my my mind. Like, what if you're having a relationship with somebody, and then at a certain point, you rel- they they tell you like yeah. that they're asexual, yeah. and it's you, they love you, and you're in this relationship with them, and you want to have this relationship with yeah. them, but you realize, oh my god, they've only been having sex with me because I want it, and they're not enjoying it or whatever. I mean, right. I imagine that could create a lot of issues in a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Or and, negotiate. You can right. negotiate and say, let's have an open relationship so one person gets their needs met. Oh, of course. You know? But I'm just thinking like right. the beginning Gotta stages of that it. when right. somebody came out, to, coming out to your parents, kind of like you're saying, like some people are like, I just don't even want to know what my kids are doing in the bedroom sure. and asexual. Right. I, I, this is again a gross assumption. Of course, there's the idea, the loss of the dream of maybe grand children sure. or you know the wonderful sure. partner that your child sure. will be bringing that you can show off to all your Although friends. Although an ace who's happy to go to the baseball game there might be grandchildren. Sure right, right. okay so <laughs> <laughs> wait what do you mean you just lost like me. that they're happy to have they're, sex right. they may not really be into it but because their partner is they'll they do could, it they'll go every once in a while. Right. They might you produce? Have. Yeah right. sure. Oh, like right. an oh, yeah. I got it. Sure. Yeah. That they're not barren they're just not. They're just not interested. They're just not yeah. yeah. But they, but they might be right. interested. <laughs> but they might be interested in having children, right? Sure, or, or parenting. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that can be you know through adoption or in vitro or you know some asexual people do have sex sometimes, right? So I yeah. So I'm imagining. I I don't know. Have you dealt with this with a couple where one of the members is coming out as asexual yeah. to their partner yeah. and, and I mean, what kind of an impact can that have on a relationship? Yeah. I mean, particularly, um, so I work only with individuals, but I've worked with people who are in the situation you're describing. And I think that, um, it's hard. I mean, basically your partner is saying this thing we've been doing for five or 10 or 20 or 40 years, I've been doing kind of out of obligation. And Honestly, like, once the sexual partner hears that and then starts to sort of integrate that knowledge into their hindsight, I think a lot of partners are like, oh, that explains why they never seemed that into it. That explains why they never initiated. That explains that explains a lot, right? Like, I now understand this relationship differently. But it's also really painful. And people navigate that differently. Some people decide, sometimes the asexual person may say, but we can still do this once in a while. I mean, I don't hate this. I'm just not very interested in it. Um, and they navigate it that way. Or sometimes the sexual person says, you know what? I love you. And that matters more than anything. And sex is like 15 on the list of things that I like about our relationship. 
And so let's just focus on those top 14. Instead of society's pressure to say a good marriage or a good relationship right. has constant, you know, consistent sex and right, exactly. pressure to have sex, you know, 10 times a week or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not, you know. So, 10 times a week? What relationship are you I don't know anybody who... <laughs> well, I actually have some statistics on how often married couples have sex. Yes, actually. I knew yeah. you would. Bring it. She's uh, fabulous. Her well, I just... Cool. I mean, this was just kind of like off... The, on a different tangent for me, just thinking about this. Well, but, are these married couples with kids or married couples without kids? Well, and all of that factors into it. But generally, according to David Schnark, who I love his work, oh, um, Passionate yeah. Marriage and, and other stuff, he says about 26% of couples have sex once a week. Like, that seems like one time a week for 26, so, so a quarter. But the other 74% have sex one to two times a month or less. So so the people who are having it once a week in long-term marriages have are having it like that's that's the most like that's the um that's that's a lot which I find interesting. Um <laughs> Uh, Why do you yeah. find it interesting, Jenny? Well, because I I have a lot more sex than that <laughs> generally, generally. Although you know, there's always times. Yes. But then there, there's this idea that having sex less than ten times a year is enough to label yourself sexless or relationship sexless. And um, these are straight couples. Less than 10 times yeah, this a year. is straight couples. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yes, this is straight couples. Um, another study said that older couples have sex about two to three times a month. Younger couples have it once a week. Um, in 2007, there was a study that said uh, married couples have sex about seven times a month. Um, yeah, and, and then another study was saying, you know, Americans are having far less sex now. Uh, in the 90s, married couples were having sex more than people who were never married, and then that kind of switched, and people who were never yeah. married were having more sex. But millennials are having way less sex than their parents and grandparents, and they've got in, fewer steady partners. In real life, as opposed to technology. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then when I'm talking about sex, I'm talking about intercourse. And um, But again, I mean, I think the, these were just some general things. I didn't get really deep into it, but I found that kind of interesting, because well, so what is sex, too? It's interesting, too, thinking of sort of the figuring stuff out process of an asexual person right so imagine you're a straight cisgender man who is in a marriage to a woman and you have never really felt very driven to have sex with your wife and then you finally decide like this feels weird this feels different than the rest of the world i want to talk to my buddy about it so you you know take a deep breath and you sort of ready yourself for the vulnerability of this conversation. And then you say to your friend, hey, friend, um, the wife and I only have sex like once a month. I don't know. Like, that feels like it's not very much. And your friend says, well, like, man, me too. Me and my wife, we only have sex once a month because with, you know, jobs and kids and everything else just gets in the way. And so we don't really want to have sex. And he goes, all right, maybe this is everybody. Maybe everybody has the same experience that I do. Right, but so, but you're saying, but there's a difference between people who aren't having sex because they've just got too much going on. Right, they're busy. Which is part of right. that reason for people to have, you know, that 26% are having sex once a week. You know, sure. it is because of 
that the articles I, were, I was looking at yeah. was saying it, there are these external factors that sure. it's not that, that especially the longer relationship goes on that it right. becomes lower on the priority list sure if you're busy or you're tired or you have had too many arguments with your spouse to the point where you you just aren't really you just can't get it up with that person anymore right. that's really different than somebody who just doesn't have any sexual interest and who you know, probably never really has. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. No, I won't do that. Right. So, so there's so so if you're asexual though, and you're having that conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. that. I'm, would it be helpful? I mean, does that does that normalize it and make it helpful? Is it sort of like, well, I guess at a certain point, everybody gets to the point I've been at my whole life, or? Well, I think it, it maybe throws you off the track of figuring out what's going on with you. Right, okay. Yeah. Because if you can say, okay, well, other people are, are having the same amount of sex that I am, and then you're not having those deeper conversations, which a lot of people wouldn't, of like, all right, and like, also, when I do it, it's not really something that I want to do. It's something that I do because my wife wants it or um, it's just not, it, and it's never been something that I've been that interested in. And if you don't kind of go there, then you just sort of go, all right, I have the same amount of sex as my friend does. And I guess then there's not something different so but you are actually feels different. So right. I can't really put my finger on it now. So something that feels different, but uh, externally, yeah. at least, it looks like you are right. keeping it up with the Joneses. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But again, there's so much diversity among asexual people that every conversation we're having is full of assumptions and generalizations that might not resonate with every asexual person. Right. Like somebody yeah. might be sexual with their partner without intercourse. Sure. And that might be okay. Sure. Sure. Um, So how would somebody know that they're asexual? Are there particular characteristics? I mean, we've touched on some, but uh, like, are there some specific signs that people could look for to say, wait a minute, that lines up for me. I'm, I'm probably in this right area. So this is a, this is this almost feels like a dangerous conversation to have because I've had so many conversations with asexual people who have sort of stumbled across asexuality or learned about asexuality in a way that describes, like, you know you're asexual if such and such, and they go, well, that's not me, so I must, I must not be asexual. For example, um, asexual people don't want relationships is something that... Assumptions. That, or right, rivals. exactly. Um, so... But that's aromantic. It's aromantic, right. So... Um, which I guess can be different from asexual, or it can be separate from asexual, but um, I tend to think of it in conjunction with asexuality mostly. Um, Is that what so you call it, aromantic? Aromantic, really? yeah. Somebody, yeah. Yeah, somebody who doesn't want a romantic right. relationship, who's not interested in right. a romantic relationship. So, like, let's say you go to one to one of these meetup groups we were talking about, right? Like, let's say you go to the LA Asexuality Meetup Group, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, no, I would never want a relationship. I would never want a partner. I just want platonic relationships. That's all I want. Um, I'm asexual, and I don't want a relationship. And you go, well, I want a relationship, so I must not be asexual because I don't fit in with this definition of 
asexuality that I've encountered. Or let's say you read an article about asexuality and asexuality says that um, all asexual people are disgusted by sex. They find it repulsive. They think it's gross. And you say, well, I'm not disgusted by sex. That's not me at all. Like, I'm not interested in sex, but I am willing to have sex for my partner or once in a while I even feel the drive to have it on my own. So I must not be asexual after all. So I think that trying to describe these questions of like, how do you know you're asexual? A lot of the time can take people off the path of figuring out that they have this identity because it's so diverse and because it's so nuanced. But I would say the biggest thing is that if you, from talking to other people and from just existing in the world, find that you do not walk through the world with sexual attraction in the same way that you hear other people talk about experiencing sexual attraction, then that's a pretty strong indication you might be asexual. If you don't um, feel sex drive outside of a relationship that you're really intimately involved in, if you don't go, wow, that Ryan Gosling, he's so hot, I want to have sex with him. Oh my god, he's so hot. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? If you don't find yourself... What is wrong with you? Right. Or maybe it's not Ryan Gosling, maybe it's somebody else, right? You are broken. Right. So if you don't... (laughs) Right. So if you don't find yourself experiencing sexual attraction outside of a relationship, you may well be demisexual. Um, But the right right to self-define is really important. So um, if somebody who occasionally feels sexual attraction in a relationship defines themselves as asexual, I would let them know these other words and phrases exist, but I would definitely not say to somebody, oh, you know, it sounds like you're demisexual. I don't think you're asexual, actually, because I would never take somebody's self-identification away from them. That's their right, and that's sort of important. So that comes up all the time with adolescents that are Mm -hmm. saying to their parents, you know, I feel more like a girl or boy. Right. Uh, instead of Stephen, now I want you to call me Sally. Right. <laughs> you know? Sure. It happens all the time. Sure. And so parents are so in the dark about, you, you know, they're just being manipulative. They're just changing. You know, this was never. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about generations of the baby boomers and the Gen X that kind of don't buy into all these labels and these names and they resent it. They get so angry as though. But we only a, had a, a couple. Yeah, yeah. God damn it. Why do, why do they get more? Yeah. <laughs> they get more. It, they don't understand it. And so them. the right. generational, you know, the millennials, the Gen Zs. Right. They just, it's a whole different world. Right. Right. And somebody who's who's navigating this identity process, which adolescence is about no matter who you are. Right. But so somebody who's trying to figure out their identity, who says, you know, you called me Steven. Now I want you to call me Sally. And their parents are like, oh, God, we have a transgender child. What do we do with this? Or, you know, maybe their parents who are really, you know, informed and embrace it. Right. And embrace it. And they say, "Okay, you know what? We love you no matter who you are. We're going to call you Sally. And then Sally comes home from school a few months later and says, actually, I don't quite feel female. I feel like I'm completely off the gender spectrum. And I want you to call me S. I don't have a gender. I don't identify with any gender. And I'm going to tell you right? in some cultures, and I can already hear the baby boomers, and yeah. maybe Gen X might be a little bit more open to it, but right. can say, you can kiss my ass, Stephen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. There's no open discussion. It is what it is. You you know, right. you know, go through life and cut it out. 
Right. Or and it's, it's like, sad. If you want to, if you want to succeed in this world, you better get on the binary track, or you know. Right. Right. Exactly. Or you're so in trouble. Hard. I'm just warning you. But it. But again, and this is, this is going to go really shrinky. Is then that also to me is about like, the person who's delivering that message and their, a parent especially kind of wanting to protect their child on some level is as inappropriate and clumsy as I personally might feel that that response would be of saying, you know, it's black or white, it's A or B, pick one. Right. You know, maybe I'm I'm willing to live with you if you're L or G. (laughs) Right. You know, but uh, I think that... The real reasons. underlying, yeah, yeah, I think it's safety. Fear, you're you're sure. fearing, safety. like, yeah, like you're sure. going to be making your life much more difficult because yeah. they're also, even myself, right? I, I'm living in a way different world than the 25 year olds are. Like, I was, sure. I grew up in a different time. So, my experience, the window that I am pre programmed to look through is very different than the one a 25 year old today would be looking through. Yeah. I mean, just look at the NFL players, the NBA players. I mean, you know, when they do come out, it's like hysterical for, you know, other men that are watching it or, you know, just breaks the mold of uh, NBA player. Do you mean hysterical funny or hysterical crying? uh, uh, Furious. Furious. Rage. It brings such homophobic reactions that are that are just not uh, talked about so it's so incredibly brave right for them to come out and yet it is true that they you know leave their teams yeah. and their friends won't talk to them anymore or I'm, it's uh well, well I think people get dangerous like you're talking about people like dangerous right. yeah right. like sure. you know well, i think if we're talking about parents who are coming from a fear of is my child going to be safe in this world place the important thing there is to talk about therapy outcomes and support and the importance of that and the high prevalence of suicidality in LGBT youth who aren't accepted in their homes and the high prevalence of homelessness for these kids when they're kicked out of their homes or when they feel like they have to leave in order to be who they are. Right. And then a lot of these homeless kids, the only way they can survive is to engage in the the prostitution. Right. The economic sex. Try to figure out how to Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so talking to parents and trying to move, I saw a great talk yesterday. James Gay gave a great talk. Oh, he's great. Um, yeah, about working with transgender clients. And he uh, he said if you can move a parent over even, he, he cited a study that said if you can move a parent even just like one tick, it doesn't have to be to acceptance, but from like non-tolerance to tolerance, the outcomes are so much better for those kids and for those teenagers it's validating the reality right right? exactly and i would imagine that the parents also uh you know struggle with grief and loss over what they wanted to have or what they thought they had and then you know the the situation that sure sure i think when you have a baby you sort of envision a certain kind of life for that person and the more rigid you are about that vision the harder it is to adjust when that vision isn't met Right. Like even if you have a baby and you're like, you know, we've all been podiatrists and this baby is going to grow up and be a podiatrist. Like we love feet, like her father and grandfather, and great grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Right. Get those right, corn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no kink is wrong. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah. Right. So and then the, the, it's like, but I'm an artist dad. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, I think it goes into, like, the death of a dream kind of thing, but it's also the differentiation, and it's kind of separating 
your desires right. for your child from their desires for themselves. Right, right. And, I mean, a lot of people, maybe even all people who have children, their child is their immortality project. Totally. Right, yeah. Yep. Right? right. This is a piece of me that's lasting, and what is that going to look right. like? I'm the end of the line, the end of the family line. So, tolerance. Um, I love that you said tolerance. It's so important. Yeah. yeah. To learn that, to empathy, too. And like you said, just to, like uh, that you said James was talking about in the lecture, just yeah. kind of twisting it like one degree right. can make a huge and, difference. And tolerance is important. It's not the gold standard. Like, who wants to be right. just tolerated? Yeah. Right. Right. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. But with the but, heartbreak of what parents, I mean, I, I right. see this all the time. Right. That if you can get to tolerance that's a right. negotiation you right. know that's just a little bit flexible on mom or dad's side you right know, that can allow that conversation to happen because it's so painful to watch it is like even just pulling that one thread maybe the whole sweater isn't going to unravel right in that moment but maybe just loosening that thread is going to loosen some others and that over time the tolerance will come to a different place of acceptance and understanding right. and real embracing or celebration. Sure. I mean, imagine that you have a conservative religious set of parents whose child comes out to them as transgender and they say, hell no, not in my house. You will be the boy that we know you are or you will get the hell out of here. Right? No, nobody, no child of mine. And you say to those parents, we need you to attend PFLAG meetings, to march in a parade waving the transgender flag. We need you to um, be an advocate and an activist. That's like, I mean, it's so far from their context. Right. So if you say to that parent, all right, we don't need you to do that stuff, but what we do need you to do is call John Jane. Uh-uh. I'm telling you, it's so hard. It and, is heartbreaking yeah. to yeah. watch session after session with yeah. kids that yeah. say just respect. Yeah. You know, I, I talk yeah. about trust and, yeah. and respect, and yeah. I, I just talk about love. Yeah. Just basic, unconditional yeah. love. We really have to kind of go yeah. right back to yeah. where is love? Can we all right. just agree there's love mm. in the room? Yeah. 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 So hard. Even even just, like, the littlest, I mean, not calling your child a different name isn't a small step, but even just, like, can you be respectful? Can you put up with this? Can you not threaten to kick your child out of the home? Right. Yeah. Right? Or you, or can we dial back the language around that right. person, too? Because sometimes it's it's the microaggressions or it's oh, the, yeah. like listening to them talking about somebody on the television, but it's very oppressive to the person who's in the right. room exactly. who feels that way. Exactly. I imagine that could be really... I mean, I, I, I've, I've been in those situations. So, um, so how, so does asexuality limit the types or depths of relationships people can have and, or like how, how does it affect people's ability to connect with people? I I know we've talked about it a little bit, but I'm just wondering if we missed anything on that. Like how, how do we approach these relationships? Right. So we, we sort of started to talk about, you know, in a relationship, 
there, there are a lot of ways asexual people can be in a relationship if that's what they want. Um, you can have two asexual people in a relationship with each other. Um, you can have an asexual partner who sometimes goes to the baseball game. You can have a sexual partner who decides that sex is not an important feature of their relationship. Or you can have an open relationship. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they're already in a relationship and navigating this, that's something they sort of try because it's easier than dissolving a, whole, uh, a relationship. Um, and some people may find that it works beautifully and some people may find that it is not a good fit for them. So somebody who's asexual might not be comfortable with an open relationship because it could be emotionally threatening, even if it's not sexually threatening. The it could idea. still shatter the intimacy, right? Right. Or the trust. Is, is that... Well, and I think that it's different, too, if... Like, are you going into a relationship saying, I am asexual, and I know that you're not? Um, there's something called a mixed orientation marriage or a mixed orientation relationship where two people share conflicting sexual identities. So that could be a gay person and a straight person being in a relationship with each other and deciding that that's what they want as their intimate relationship. I read a fascinating article a few years ago um, about a gay Mormon man who felt that it was a sin to be gay and married a woman who knew from the get-go that this was his identify identity and this was his journey. And they had kids together and um, once in a while he goes to the baseball game and he identifies as with gay. With her or with, with someone her. else? With her. Okay. With her, otherwise it's not going to the baseball game, I, right? Okay. He's uh, <laughs> doing whatever he enjoys. Um and yet he abstains from be from having uh, same-sex relationships, even though that's who he is. Um, and he is in this marriage, right? So that's called a mixed orientation marriage. Right. So one person maybe has outside relationships and the other person doesn't. But there's, again, there's a negotiation, yeah. there's an agreement. Mm. I, at least that would be right, exactly. the hope from a clinical perspective, you know, if we're working with a couple or an individual, that there's honesty, as right. we've talked about, the importance of honesty in a relationship right. and communication. Sure, because if there's no agreement, it's not polyamory, it's cheating. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and that's, again, I what I'm I, I'm wondering is the ace. So, the, so when... An ace might have some big feelings about on monogamy right. that they that they want their partner to be monogamous, but, right. so that could be right. a big struggle too. Right. I Again, if they want a partner, but if right. they're yeah, but if they're in a partner, it, but I, 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 yeah, I'm talking about in the context of a relationship. So right. I'm talking about an. I understand right. that some asexual a, aces. Right. I mean, again, I, I suppose it would be like you yeah. saying to your client, educate me, and yeah. that we're going to ask somebody how they identify, and that's yeah. really what it comes down right. to, and it, whether you're talking about an ethnicity or a sexuality or a gender. Right, and I, we can bring terminology into the room, and we can bring questions into the room, but um, ultimately they they get to define themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that relationship itself is going to be unique in how right. the couple works out. Yeah. And to just go back to teens, parents sometimes yeah. don't believe they get to define themselves, right? Uh, right. 
Right, absolutely. And so that is also yeah. something to be mindful of about respect and love, unconditional love. Yeah. You know, who does get to define themselves? Because sometimes parents say, no, no, you don't, you don't get that. Right or, right. or I've heard you get that when you're 18 and out of the house. Right. That's a big one. Sure. So you have to, you have to identify this way or that way and until you move out, till you're paying your own bills. Yeah. Right. So right. You, as long as you're under my roof. Right. <laughs> So basically what you're saying is go underground. Yeah. And, oh, right. You and, know. and what you're what you're not saying, but what you are absolutely implying is it's wrong and bad. It's wrong and bad and you should feel deep shame about it and keep it a secret and never talk to anybody about it. Which is where you get the suicidal stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So generally, asexuality aside, um, Jenny, what do you feel promotes healthy relationships? So I am a big believer in a combination of transparency and kindness. I think that transparency by itself looks like brutal honesty, which tends to be more concerned with brutal than honest. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, so kindness is a vital element, but people often conflate kindness and niceness. And when I think of nice, I think about always thinking about just the other person's needs. and. A phrase that I use ad nauseum in my practice is assertiveness as an act of kindness. Asking to have your needs met is so important because what it's saying is asking to have this need met is really, really vulnerable for me and it's really difficult for me, but I value you enough that I am going to take a deep breath and consider your needs and then ask to have mine met. Um, and what all of that boils down to is just really solid communication. So transparency, kindness, and communication. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that's true in uh, straight vanilla monogamous relationships. Um, and I think that gets more important when there are other, uh, and, and gay vanilla monogamous relationships. But when you add um, other factors such as a mixed orientation marriage or polyamory or kink, I think it, it becomes even more important to communicate openly and regularly and really be explicit. I mean, there are rules in every relationship, and whether we define those rules or whether they're just sort of unspoken rules, they exist. So when, when you are in a relationship that has complexities to it, right, that involves other people or that involves... Um, power play or that involves orientations that are different and you're navigating that, it's very important to be really explicit with those rules. I think everybody should be explicit with their rules ideally. Yeah, but, I do too. Um, but, but it's not a natural, it's not necessarily it's right. not a natural thing for everybody. I mean, it really, right. I think, comes from a, a family of origin. Right. Like, how did people in your family communicate or not communicate? Absolutely. They, was it all nonverbal? Was it, it was a lot of assumptions? And right. that Boundaries. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. have to say, my getting to know members of these three different communities, polyamory, kink, and people who are in mixed orientation relationships, have really improved my ability to communicate in relationships because everything is so explicit because they're blazing their own trail, right? They're figuring it out together and there's not some cookie cutter thing that they're following. Right. It's all new. And so navigating like, so for example, a poly couple or a poly 
family, right? Who's, okay, we're in this relationship, and um, you have a boyfriend and a girlfriend as well, and I have uh, a boyfriend, and how do we navigate the time that these other three people are play are playing, like the role these other three people are playing in our relationship, and let's get out the calendar and let's look at it, and like if I'm, I'm like exhausted just listening to this. I'm like, who has the fucking time? <laughs> right. But yes, yes, I'm and, jealous of that. Right. And if I meet somebody new, do I have to talk to you about them, or can I just go out with them? Uh, is there a difference if it's a romantic connection versus a sexual connection? So they so talk the about all the boundaries of, these things. of what everybody feels right. comfortable with. Right. The yeah. rules and the boundaries are explicit. And, and that scheduling. Has me, right. And yeah. Who schedules. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Color coded calendars. Right. Oh <laughs> um, that has taught me, talking to these people has taught me so much about how, like, the gold standard of communication totally. in a relationship. Yeah. yeah. But because there's there's so many different factors in that that can really really step in it, right? Oh, and saying to your wife, "I don't like your new boyfriend. He makes me really uncomfortable," right? And those conversations. So that's that balance of kindness and transparency that's so important. Yeah, I've known polyamorous yeah. couples who then come to problems like that too, yeah. where there's kind of this. We may have these outside connections, but yeah. then we ourselves are the primary couple and when that connection starts to feel threatened then something has to shift it's like maybe right. that person has to go some you know a third person has to right be reconsidered because they're becoming more emotionally involved than right. the primary relationship can absolutely handle. yeah absolutely and then like what are the rules around do we have the right to request that what does it mean if you're my primary relationship Right. Uh, we could talk for two hours about polyamory. Right, yeah. <laughs> There's so I want much you there. to come back. <laughs> yeah. to hear, that's come back and we'll talk about polyamory. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So you'll come back. We'll talk about polyamory. <laughs> and so. I would love that. Yeah. So, but from this conversation on asexuality and, and yeah. sexual, um, you know, as a sexual minority, is there anything yeah. else that we missed or. I just, the, what I got from this today, which is a just a very important message is because someone is asexual mm. uh, that is not avoidant that does not mean it oh, yeah. has to be avoidant definitely or ambivalent yeah. attachment right right but it can be a secure attached person um creating intimacy trust uh and love right in their way absolutely absolutely yeah i think for me yeah. one of the things that i found really interesting just even preparing and along with this conversation and our conversation in the past, Jenny, mm -hmm. is this, that and somebody who identifies as an ace, which is a new term for me, mm -hmm. um, as, as ace is, is, can be sexual. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really more about what somebody kind of feels yeah. than what they do kind of, that it's like they, there's circumstances that, yeah, it's not a cookie cutter thing, but that they could masturbate. They might have, sex with their partner in the context of that relationship or for procreation or none of the above and their right. bodies might just not be willing to participate because they find it so disgusting that it's like if i said your body needs to act a certain way and uh you need to eat a cockroach while doing that right so it, it's it's you said cock you called me on it <laughs> That's just, I'm, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess the, the biggest thing is that, like, 
what I really want to say is if anybody is listening to this podcast and this resonates with them and you're thinking like, you know what, this is me. I resonate maybe not with everything because again, this is hugely diverse, but I resonate with a lot of what's being said. Yeah. What do they do? Talk to somebody about it because that mitigates the shame. That's always the first thing. I mean, in addition to gender, sexual relationship minorities, I do with all demographics, I do a lot of shame and vulnerability work. And the biggest antidote Mm -hmm. to shame is empathy. Right. So if you talk to somebody about it, somebody who's empathic, somebody who has, who you know, has your back, that can be so huge. And the second thing is go to the AVEN website, the Asexuality, Visibility, and Education Network, because they just have tons of message boards and so many resources, and you'll find that you're not alone. In fact, far from it. So I also want to recommend yeah. that people check out your article for things everyone should know about asexuality. Oh, yeah, I thanks. will have links to all of these things and, of course, stuff that yeah. we've talked about in the show notes. I'm sorry, were yeah. you going to say something, Wendy? No. I don't know. Oh. I was, and then... Oh, I was just wondering, so if people want to uh, find you, how do they find you? Sure. So I have a psychotherapy practice in downtown L.A. called Through the Woods Therapy Center. Um, It's me and two other people who are uh, working on their license, their interns. And uh, we all are strength-based, affirming of all gender, sexual, and relationship minorities, and person-centered. So uh, please... Feel free to give us a call. Uh, phone number is 213-863-1652. I know you'll have all this information as well. Absolutely. And you can um, find her on Twitter at, at Therapist Jenny. And that's Jenny I-E. I'm Jenny with an I. And she's Jenny with an I-E. So right. she's at Therapist Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E. Uh, you can find her on Facebook. Uh, also at Through the Woods Therapy Center. Uh, and you can email her at Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E, at throughthewoodstherapy.com. And that's uh, through spelled out, not T-H-R-E-U. Yes. Yeah. T-H-R-O-U-A-G-H. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be on there. Um, so, Dr. Wendy's Dream Journal. Dr. Wendy's Dream Journal. Little exercises or things that people can journal about at home either of you were we always encourage everybody to kind of yeah so i really feel like it's important to be grounded and anchored and even if you don't know what that feels like to always have a dream journal or a goal journal and just write in it and you know uh from time to time i'm not I was not a journaler, but I got to say that through my young adulthood into adulthood, it changed my life because I would look back at it and it really helped me to um, focus on goals, but also just what's happening in the here and now. So as you were talking, Jenny, I was thinking about maybe people can journal about moments in their life with relationships of transparency, kindness, and being assertive. And, you know, it's all about secure attachment, and that looks so many different ways. But I just, you know, you're strength-based as we are, and that's a beautiful way to really highlight that it's there in their hearts. And sometimes we don't even think about it, but I just love that transparency, kindness, and assertiveness. So, And to build on that also, not only in the context of relationships, uh, you can also go one step further and then 
the relationship with yourself. Yes. Like, what areas may you not be fully transparent, fully kind, and fully assertive with oneself? Because if we can't do it with ourselves, it's going to be, you know, just as challenging with someone else. And, and I think I would also recommend people maybe consider, okay, if I, if I just for half a second step away from the binary spectrum of, you know, orientation and identity, what, what other ways might I describe myself? And maybe they're not any of the terms that we've used today, but like, I mean, even if it's just making up your own term or, you know, I, like I have, you know, I have my girl crush on like Elizabeth Banks that she's my new one right now, you know, but it's like other people in the past. Um, always Sandra Bernhard will always be my girl, but you know, places in which it's like, you know, can we be comfortable with our questioning moments? Like I'm a big advocate for just the big Q, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I identify as Q, uh, because whether, and, and queer and questioning. And I love that because I think that there's some freedom in, in that and saying, I'm not going to be either or. And I think that comes out of the fact that I'm biracial too, but that, you know, that I always kind of seen the world like that. So what does it look like if you, if you challenge yourself for a moment to just step out of a binary, um, well also honoring the fact that owning privilege as a straight person creates a context for the oppression and challenges of people who don't share that privilege. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's sort of like a, an important balance between delving deep within yourself and also understanding that even if occasionally I am attracted to a woman, I am a straight person who lives a straight person's life, and somebody who is not a straight person faces different kinds of challenges than I do in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So what about yeah. you? Is there anything that you recommend for your clients or that you would recommend for listeners that they might do journal about well so it's not an open-ended journaling but maybe being really contemplative about that bell curve and where you fall on the bell curve and 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 just sort of validating for yourself that wherever you are again if you're not hurting anyone against their will and you feel good on the inside that's what matters that's that's the that's the only thing that matters Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. This today. was fascinating. This was great. Yeah. Loved it. And I want you back for the polyamorous. Let's get into all that. That is just <laughs> fascinating to me. That's awesome. I would love yeah. to do that. I would love to do that. Oh, thank you so yeah. much for thank being here. Thank you so much again. for being so here. Thank you. Yay. Thank you for having me. So, um, podcast listeners, do us a favor and just go over to iTunes and uh, give us some stars subscribe to us on podbean or itunes and keep listening and uh and as i always say we encourage you to be as authentically yourselves as you can possibly stand and as dr wendy always says stay open and that's it it's a wrap <laughs> that's a wrap <laughs> oh my Thank god you have to so play much. take me out to the ball game We hope you learned as much as we did talking to Jenny. That's Jenny with an I-E, Steinberg. Again, you can find her at throughthewoodstherapy.com. And through is spelled T-H-R-O-U-G-H. You can find us on social media. Uh, Wendy and I are both on Facebook. I'm there at Jenny J.V. Wilson. And she's at Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Associates. You can find me, Jenny with an I, on Twitter at Jenny J.V. Wilson on Instagram at The Preppy Rebel. 
my email is jenniferjvwilson at gmail.com and my website is jennyjvwilson.com, but it needs an overhaul. Uh, you can find Dr. Wendy on her YouTube channel. On Twitter, she's at Ask Dr. Wendy. On Instagram, she's at I am Dr. Wendy. Her email is drwendyoconnor at gmail.com. Her website is drwendyoconnor.com. Doctor is not abbreviated. It's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R. And her phone number is 310-712-1230. You can email us any feedback or questions at relationshipshowla at gmail.com. And do us a favor, just click on that little button and subscribe to us on Podbean or iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review or just give us five stars if you can't find the words. We would really appreciate it. All right. Until next time. It's not that I'm troubled and it's not that I'm rude. I just need to find someone who doesn't need to be nude to love me forever. To love me true Because asexuals are not just some prudes I don't need to have sex to show you my love There are so many other ways you haven't dreamed of I can take you on a trip to somewhere you've never been I will do your laundry you're unnatural just turn the other cheek you don't have to be sexual to find love can you say it one more time sure sexual orientation is who you want to go to bed with and gender identity is who you want to go to bed as